0: (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm starting a new series this morning, so before I jump into that, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him him to bless this. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we uh, thank You so much that You are here among us and that You are our teacher, Lord. We're not here to hear from a man. We're here to hear from You. So as we open up the Bible And read your holy, divinely inspired word. We pray that it would just leap off the pages to us, Lord. That you would give us revelation, knowledge, and understanding. And a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, as Jeremiah 33 says, show us great and wonderful things that we do not know. We ask, O Lord, that the enemy of our souls would not be able to hinder the proclamation of this word in any way. Nor the hearing of it. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts and minds that comprehend what your spirit is saying to the church and to every individual, every family this morning. And Lord, please allow that word to be planted in the good soil of our hearts where it produces a harvest of righteousness for your name's sake. And for these things, we thank you so much, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, as I said, I'm starting a new series this morning called Preparing for Christ's Return. And I'd love for you to turn to our master text that we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 25. And while you're turning there, I want to make one quick reference to a different passage. Uh, It's not our master text, but just to kind of prepare us for our master text. Um, And that passage is 1 Thessalonians 4.16 that says the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God. And then that passage goes on to explain other elements of Christ's return and then finally verse 18 goes on to say therefore encourage one another with these words. So he's Encouraging us to encourage one another with the words about Christ's return. See, the promise of the return of Christ is a comfort and an encouragement to those of us who are looking for Him. But the promise of Christ's return is also a warning to those who may be spiritually groggy. So with as, as a backdrop, let's read our master text in Matthew chapter 25. This is a little bit of a longer master text this morning, so I'm going to exercise your legs a little bit as I ask you to stand and let's honor the reading of the word this morning. These are the words of Jesus. This is commonly known as the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. And five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Now, there's some key concepts that we can get out of that master text this morning, and uh, there's a couple of them. And the first one is this, that half the people who identify themselves as Christ followers are spiritually asleep, and they are totally unprepared for his return. Isn't that what the master text just referred to, the five wise and the five foolish So I want to read that line again there. Half the people who identify themselves as Christ's followers are spiritually asleep. They are totally unprepared for his return. And the next point that I want to make about that, the next key concept about that master text, is that one half of the church is actually a false church. I'm going to say that again. Half of the church is actually a false church. Now, I like to think that in our congregation that the ratio isn't nearly that high. But there may even be some among us today that represent the false church. Those who are spiritually asleep and who who are totally unprepared for Christ's return. Let me give you another scriptural reference for that. And that's in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. And this is Jesus speaking again. And he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, folks, listen. Jesus was talking to apparently religious people here. These were people who prided themselves in their so-called religious activity, but who really had no interest in expanding the kingdom of God. In other words... What they did, they did not do in faith. And don't the scriptures tell us that whatever is not done in faith is sin. So is it possible then to be doing religious activity and still be in sin? Well, if the Pharisees of Jesus' time were any indication, the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Yes. So, in preparing for Christ's return, then, we have to ask the question are we in the last of the last days? And in, in talking about Christ's return, we have to analyze the times that we're living in in light of the scriptures and analyze the signs of the times. So, there's a scripture that I've referred to many times, but I'm going to kind of use this as a checklist this morning. Read over this passage again in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, and just kind of go down this list. It says this, but understand this, in the last days, terrible times will come. So let's compare what we're about to read here with our culture. Men will be lovers of themselves. Check. Lovers of money. Absolutely. Mm-hmm boastful check arrogant check abusive absolutely yeah disobedient to their parents check ungrateful absolutely unholy check unloving who <laughs> absolutely see that all over our society these days unloving unforgiving check, slanderous, yep, without self-control, rampantly in this culture, brutal, without love of good, man, in this culture today, just the total disregard for what is good and wholesome just blows me away, okay, without love of good, traitorous, reckless, just people doing stuff that totally destroys their lives and leaves collateral damage all around them. And they just do it anyway. Recklessness. Okay? Conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And now get this last one. This is an indictment against the church. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's rampant in the American church today. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Then it goes on to say, Turn away from such as these. All the things on this list. Don't make these kinds of people your constant companions. Not that we can't go in and minister the love of Christ to those who are in these categories, but folks, I'm seeing some of this in the church. The The Bible tells us to turn away from such as these. Don't make people like that your constant companion. Now, as I've said before, um, I don't claim to be an expert on end times eschatology. Uh, I've always leaned toward a pre-tribulation rapture type of theology. And that view has been strengthened somewhat by a great book that I read recently called uh, The Tipping Point, by Jimmy Evans. Thank you, Bill Frank, for that uh, book. That was a gift from Bill. It was a great book. But I also acknowledge that, uh, you know, I've listened to uh, people with different views on end times eschatology, and they, those other groups make some great observations as well. There's one group, in fact, who believes that the prophecies regarding the end times were symbolic of the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 A.D. So according to one group's interpretation of end times eschatology, all those prophetic things that we see in the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Revelations have already passed. That was, that was for the destruction of Jerusalem. And even they make a great point. I know that that turns our whole idea of end times eschatology on his ear, but they make some great points too. As a matter of fact, um, do you remember when Jesus said, when you see the abomination that brings desolation standing in the temple? Do you remember him saying that? And then he said, when you see that, run to the hills. Don't even go down into your house and take something out. When you see that happen, run to the hills. And then he makes a really strange statement in the book of Revelation. He makes a strange statement about the 144,000. Do you remember that? Well, get, let me just give you a little bit of historical backdrop from the uh, Jewish historian Josephus. Well, so when um, Rome sacked Jerusalem in 70 A.D., the Roman Emperor, his name was Titus at the time, the Roman Emperor Titus went into the temple of God and declared himself to be God. So that was an abomination. And that abomination, of course, brought the desolation of that temple because they utterly destroyed it and they utterly destroyed Jerusalem. So when the Jewish converts to Christianity of that time saw that happen. Emperor Titus going into the temple to uh, set himself up as a god. When they saw that they remembered Jesus' words and they ran for the hills. They didn't even go down in their houses and take anything out. They ran. And according to the historian Josephus, the Jewish historian Josephus I don't think he was actually Jewish. He was Roman but he He reported on Jewish history, a very, very precise historian. He recorded that the number of Jewish converts to Christianity who escaped and survived the siege of Jerusalem was 144,000. Interesting. That changes the conversation a little bit, doesn't it? So I think all of these different groups have some elements of truth. So, you know, I guess I'm not prepared to land hard in any one eschatology group yet. Um, The point of this teaching isn't going to unravel any of that for you, but rather um, get us ready for the return of Christ, whether that return is tomorrow or 20 years from now or 50 years from now or whenever it's going to happen. Um, Because this one thing is sure. We've never been closer to the return of Christ than we are right now. (laughs) So going back to our master text then, I want to give you seven signs of the unprepared. And this is going to be the basis for our series. I'm just going to give you one today, one sign of the unprepared. But ultimately, I'm going to give you seven signs of the unprepared As we um, go through this series. So the first sign of the unprepared is being totally wrapped up in one's own affairs with very little thought of kingdom advancement. And our scriptural reference for that is 2 Timothy 2.4 which says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Now, you're looking on the screen there of people enjoying some popcorn at a movie, and by showing you that picture, I'm not suggesting, of course, that it's wrong to go to movies, depending on what movies you watch. Please make wholesome choices. Okay, I'm not saying that that it's wrong to go to movies or entertain oneself from time to time, but when one's focus is on the absolute worship of self, and what I mean by that is that everything you do revolves around you and yours. And it's all about your job, your entertainment, your hobbies, your kids' sports, etc. And the ratio of time spent on those things compared to uh, advancing the kingdom is something like 50 to 1. Well, that is a problem. That is a problem. You see, I've told you before in previous teachings over the years that success gurus say that most Americans' ratio of entertainment to self-development is something like 50 to 1 in favor of the entertainment. And if we would just adjust that a little and bring it to closer to 5 to 1, still in favor of the entertainment, but you begin spending more time on self-development, You see, if you were to do that, no one would ever catch you again. Why? Because most Americans' lives, get this, most Americans' lives are totally given over to useless activity. Even in the church. I'm going to say that again. Most Americans' lives are given over to useless activity. See, if if we were to begin putting more time into knowing the Bible better, to praying more, to serving more, and doing some things to change our culture, Christianity would absolutely take over America. Instead, most Christians are right there in the mix with the rest of the world, piddling away their lives, doing very little, if anything, of eternal value. I got a lot of good amens and enthusiastic response on that, didn't I? Okay, I want to say that again. Instead, most Christians in this country are right there in the mix with the rest of the world, piddling away their lives with doing things that have little, if any, eternal value. Now, on that note, I'm going to read some excerpts by a letter by a young communist, written to his fiancée breaking off their engagement. And the girl's mother sent this letter to Billy Graham many years ago, and Billy Graham published it in one of his publications. And this young communist's fervor and passion for the communist cause is an indictment against most Americans who, by and large, lack this kind of mission mindset. So let me read this letter to you. It's on the screen. We'll read it together. Here we go. He says We communists live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists do not have time or the money for many movies or concerts or T bone steaks or decent homes or new cars. We have been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. He goes on. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money can buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definitive purpose in life. We subordinate our personal petty selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us, in his small way, is contributing to something new and true and better for society. And one last segment from that letter. This is one thing... Which I am in dead earnest about, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, and my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens, as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, looks, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. Folks, This is why socialism and outright communism has invaded our society today. Because those who have been deceived into believing this satanic ideology is somehow better for society are more ardent about their faith, and yes, it is a faith. They're more ardent about their faith than most Christians are about ours. Listen, communism has claimed the lives of hundreds of millions of people in the last century. We never thought this twisted philosophy would come to America, but it's here. And yet most Christians in America are more interested in their Sunday barbecues than they are Sunday worship. We're more interested in the football scores than we are having our faces in the floor in ardent prayer and worship. We're more interested in what's streaming on Netflix than we are reaching a lost and dying world with a message of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the most frustrating part about that. A certain percentage of those Hearing this message right now will agree 100% with what I'm saying. But then walk out these doors and do absolutely nothing. We're anesthetized by our entertainment. Lulled to sleep by our comfort. Now listen, I'm not praying for persecution. But maybe if the fires of persecution got hotter the fires of prayer would get even hotter. Now, I want to go back and read the last part of that young communist's letter again and replace the word communist with Christian or kingdom of God. And let's see if this represents your mindset. You ready? Here we go. There is one thing which I am in dead earnest about, and that is the kingdom of God. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, and my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens, as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a romance or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, looks, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the Christian cause and by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. Now, not many of us have seen That kind of persecution in our nation today. But many other people, groups, and cultures around the world have seen that degree of persecution. Most recently in Afghanistan, when the Taliban lined up a bunch of Christians. And rather than to recant their faith, they were willing to take bullets in the head. They're ready. They were ready to go before a firing squad. To not renounce Jesus. So, folks, I think it's time we understand that we're not supposed to be merely spectators in the kingdom of God. But we're to be in partnership with God in advancing his kingdom. So, God partners with his people. So, the key concept here is that God has delegated his authority to us. So it falls to us to pray and act if we want to see His perfect will done. You know, it's been said by some church leaders, you got to get this. It's been said by some church leaders, and I agree with them, that the way the sovereignty of God is being taught in some denominations is one of the worst heresies the history of the church has ever seen. And the reason that they and I say that is because many Christians believe that God is just going to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, irregardless of what his people do. But that's not the way God operates. See, God has clearly delegated his authority to mankind in the garden, and then Jesus reinstated that authority. So God works within the context of partnership with his people. You know, one good reference of that is in Psalm 7841, which says that the ancient Israelites tested God in the wilderness and they get this, limited the Holy One of Israel. Folks, how do you limit a limitless God by not carrying out his commands? Because he works within the context of the partnership of his people. You know, I'm on Facebook once in a while. And honestly, many, many, many of the people that are my, quote, friends on Facebook, I've hidden most of them. But I've allowed a few to come through because they have some pretty good material that they that they post from time to time so I found this meme the other day that relates to this point I like this quote of the week God is in control but he doesn't expect you to lean on a shovel and pray for a hole he expects you to get busy You know, that old saying that we've heard, God helps those who help themselves, that's not a Bible verse, by the way. But it absolutely is a true statement. We do see that truth represented in the Bible. Those exact words aren't in the Bible, but that is a true statement. God helps those who help themselves. Let me give you some other key concepts here. God's kingdom advancing over the earth will only be accomplished with Christians who are willing to lay aside their conveniences in order to build that kingdom. Uh Uh-oh. You've gone to meddling, Pastor. (laughs) Don't mess with my conveniences. Well, I'm, I'm not done meddling. So just hold your horses here. God will not act independently of his people. He expects you to get busy in the the kingdom work that he's given you to do. And those who are not busy about the business of God's kingdom will be caught off guard by his return. Now, in Luke 12, Jesus tells the story or the parable of readiness I don't know if anybody else calls it that. I call it that um, because I think that's a concise way to describe what Jesus was saying in that parable in Luke 12. And in that parable, he tells about a master who goes away for a time to his wedding banquet, which in that culture was not just an evening event, but that could have lasted for several weeks. So he put his... Servants in charge of his business while he was away at his wedding banquet for several weeks. And uh, and the master put some of his servants in charge of his business while he's gone to continue to um, prosper that business. And at the end of that parable, uh, Jesus described the servants who had become derelict in their duties because they got tired of waiting for their master to return. And they they actually began to fall into immoral behavior during that period of time. And Jesus said in that parable that the, the return of the master will take those servants off guard. And then he will assess what they've been doing or not doing. And then, get this, and then after evaluating and assessing what they've been doing... He will then assign them a place with the unbelievers. That's what it says. I'm just quoting the Bible. However, those who keep their lamps burning by being about the business of the master will be greatly blessed. So let's look at the tail end of that parable in Luke chapter 12. This is just the last portion of that. So we need to be keeping our lamps burning by being ready for his return. So let's read this. Luke 12, verses 35 through 38 says, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Then you will be like servants waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds on watch when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and he will have them recline at the table and he himself will come and wait on them. Even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night and finds them alert, those servants will be blessed. So God has reward in mind for you. See, diligence is met with great reward. Diligence is met with great reward. So we're going to be talking more in this series about ways to get ready. So um, I coined a little term. I I think I made this up, but other people may have said it too. Sometimes I hear something and then by osmosis, I sleep at night and I wake up and go, wow, what a great saying that I just came up with. (laughs) So I don't know if I actually made this up or I just heard it from somebody else and remember it. But the saying is, see a need, plant a seed. See a need, plant a seed. So if you just see a need someplace, be the person that meets that need. That's what that means. So how are you serving people then? You know, Brent said last week in his excellent teaching that Jesus didn't schedule a lot of downtime. You know, I I like the way he said that. Jesus didn't schedule a lot of downtime because he was always serving, always doing good wherever he went. So we need to ask ourselves, how am I spending my time? You know, we all have to go to work. We all have have to go to school, live our lives. But in the process of those things, we can be planting seeds along the way and doing good and helping people wherever we can. But beyond the workplace and beyond our schools, what kind of activities are we involved in? Are we doing anything That's contributing to a better society and building up the kingdom of God. Because God will hold us accountable for the gifts and resources and abilities that he's put in our hands while we're here. So are we doing anything that's contributing to a better society and building up the kingdom of God? What activities can you point to right now that will leave a legacy when we're gone? Let me give you a few other ways here to get ready. Questions you can be asking yourself along those lines. How are you serving your church? How are you serving your church? Are you contributing in that way, in any way? How are you using your money? Okay, there you go, Pastor, again, meddling in my personal affairs. You start talking about money, and it gets real sensitive, doesn't it? Okay, how are you using your money? And then what social issue do you feel passionate about that you can engage in making a difference? Maybe it's abortion. Maybe it's in the political arena. Uh, Maybe you're the one to spearhead a great movement. Or maybe you're called to come alongside someone who is spearheading a great movement and contribute to that cause and to be a support to that cause. And on that note, I want to bring up someone right now who is spearheading a great cause and who's made great sacrifices in doing so. So I want you to hear her story and uh, the cause that she has taken up. And I hope this will inspire you to some degree. So Mary Beth, could you come up? Uh, Yeah. So Mary Beth, just introduce yourself and tell your story.
1: Thank you very much, Pastor Andy. Um, You have been a great support to us. Um, My name is Mary Beth Klaus. Uh, I am a teacher. I've taught for 18 years in public school, and then I homeschooled my daughter for two years, and now I teach at um, Greenwood Christian Academy, where she also attends. I'm also the president of the Bartholomew County Republican Ladies League. Um, And in that capacity, a lot of people conservatives came to me and said, you know, we need to go out to D.C. on January 6th. You know, we need to do something. We need to take action. We need to bear fruit. (laughs) Um, And so I helped organize that, and 52 good, honest, hardworking, God-fearing Hoosiers, we drove out to Washington, D.C., and we arranged with help from our local elected officials to meet with Senator Braun and Young. And we just wanted to tell them about our concerns, ask them about exactly what was going to happen, and then encourage them to contest the election because there were too many, in our opinion, irregularities. And so we went out there and um, you know what happened, (laughs) according to the news anyway, Um, when we got home. Uh, we realized the news weren't reporting the truth about actually what happened. Uh, you know, it was—it's completely. If you sit down with anybody who had been there, it is a night and day from what they report to what actually happened. They're deceiving the public. We also recognized the, a couple other issues. One thing is people would tell you, you've got to do something, you've got to do something, and they never tell you what to do, right? <laughs> and so we were, like, really frustrated because, like, what are we? We want to do something, but what, <laughs> right? Um, and so that was an issue um, that came up. So, and then the other thing was is we were th- saying to ourselves, why isn't the GOP doing this? Right? Why aren't they organizing the groups going to D.C.? Why aren't they doing this? So we created a group called We the People of Indiana. We are Christian constitutional conservatives advocating for active citizenship and good governance. And we realized, you know, we're frustrated with what's happening. And, and we are willing to look in the mirror and recognize as part of it, it's been our complacency. We are too occupied with our conveniences, our entertainment, our whatever we're doing. And we are in the place we're at because we didn't do what we were supposed to do. But we're going to step up now, and we're going to do what we are supposed to do now. And um, we're, we're trying to get good Christian conservatives into all the offices so they can make decisions that are pleasing to God, so we can be a godly nation, and God can return his hands of protection and blessing upon the United States. Um, So that's who we are uh, and why we um, started our group. Um, We are in counties throughout the state, and we want to be in all 92 counties, so please pray for us. Um, We're in LaPorte, Marshall, Evansville, Warwick, Posey, um, Floyd, Clark, um, and Harrison counties, as well as Johnson and Marion counties. So just... You know, keep praying that God spread this so that we can make a a definite difference in our government, in our communities. Um, Sacrifices to create this. So uh, Pastor Andy said, how did you get started and what kind of sacrifices has it uh, taken? I believe there's no separation between church and state. I think that as a Christian, everything we do is tied to our faith. It's our operating system. It's running in the background. sometimes it's not always present, but it's there, and it, it's what tells us not to lie cheat, steal, rob, you know, do all those things um, that you're not supposed to do. And so faith is the center of, of who we are. So I will tell you physically, I, you know, this has taken up a lot of my time. Like I don't, have, I don't get, really get to sit and do things that I want to do. If I'm awake, I'm working either on... School, we the people, or the Republican Ladies League. Um, so my time is, is, is scarce. That has had taken a toll physically. So I think my immune system went down. And as some of you know, I had COVID a couple uh, weeks ago or about a month ago. Um, so that made me susceptible to that. I just learned that I have gallstones. I have to get my gallbladder out. Okay, So physically, it's taking a toll on me. The financially is a big one, so we're using money that I had earned as a teacher um, for, set aside for retirement um, to pay for the setup of We the People and get it going, so financially we are committed to making this happen you know, my house, you talk about your environment, you know, I keep the kitchen clean, I get the laundry done, I clean the bathrooms, so pretty much I'm not inviting you to my house because it's a mess. <laughs> I love you, but you're not coming to my house. So so, so, so there, there's lots of sacrifices that go along with doing this. Um, but first of all, like Paul, we count it all joy, right? Count it all joy for the kingdom. And I look at my daughter, who's 14, and I say, I do this so that she can grow up in the United States that I grew up in, that with the freedoms and the liberty to love God, because we already see, if you look um, there, the media and legislators are equating us as Christians to the Taliban. They're saying we are equally as bad as terrorists. They're already putting that propaganda out there. And we need to stand up now before it's too late, or our kids and our grandkids will never know the United States we grew up in. And so, um, all sacrifices are worth it if, if she gets to grow up in, in a country that I got to grow up in. So, that's We the People, and I, I hope you join us. <laughs> yeah. Thank you.
0: Praise God. Yeah, so We the People actually meets here every first and third Saturday of the month. So is it is next Saturday? the first? Okay. So, so, yeah, so the, this following Saturday. Yeah, so we'll have a We the People meeting here next Saturday. So um, I just want you to know Donna and myself are fully behind and fully engaged in We the People. And I want our church to be as well. 9 a.m. 9 9 a.m., thank you, Mark. 9 a.m. right here at Bless Life Fellowship, uh, the first and third Saturdays of each month. So this next upcoming Saturday, please come. And by the way, um, the Dr. Daniel Stock meeting that will be here this next Thursday is uh, partly sponsored by We the People. They have made a a generous financial contribution to help us out with bringing uh, Dr. Stock down here, so they're fully committed in this as well. So we're kind of partnering together in this And uh, so I would love for you all to be here for the Dr. Stock meeting, not only for the COVID information, but you're going to be hearing about an organization that he's involved in called the Convention Estates, and you'll be hearing a little bit more about We the People on that evening as well. But uh, these are ways that we're making our society more aware of some of these social issues and also, hopefully in the process, making them more aware of the gospel of Jesus Christ as well but we're not to sit on our hands and just hope somebody else does it. If we all do that, we're going to crash and burn as a nation. We need to be diligent praying and diligent doing and either spearheading something of your own or coming along someone uh, that is spearheading something, like Mary Beth and her family, and I would encourage us all to do that. So, please be here this next Saturday. I know it's a little bit of a busy week with Dr. Stock coming in, uh, but then um, the following Saturday, uh, 9 a.m., we the people, be here for that as well. So all that said, I want to leave you with a, a passage and a quote here before we close. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, we've, we've referenced that chapter already, but toward the end of that chapter, he said, to whom much is given, much will be required just want you to ruminate on that for a moment to whom much is given much is going to be required now I only quoted the first part of that passage there it goes on to say and to whom much more is given even more will be expected So, God's made an investment in you that He expects a return on that investment. And if you're American, you have been given much, and much will be required of you as a result. Now, folks, the basis of this teaching this morning is the the wise virgins and the the foolish ones, the wise ones preparing themselves for the bridegroom's return, the foolish ones piddling away their time and not being prepared. totally taken off guard when the bridegroom returns. And there'll be some folks that just go about business as usual, not understanding the signs of the times and will be taken completely off guard when Jesus comes back. And I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I really don't. But as I was reading Jimmy Evans's book, The Tipping Point this past week, um, he said something toward the end of that book That I've actually been telling you for the last several weeks, but he just said it in a little bit of a different way. So I want to end with his quote right here. He said, plan like Jesus isn't coming back for a hundred years, but live like he's coming back today. And that means live your life in holy fear and reverence of God. Knowing that this could possibly be your last day on earth. And being ready isn't just about holiness, although that's a big part of it. But it's also about diligence with what God has put in your hands right now. See, you want... Him to find you being diligent with your kingdom assignment on your life. Building up the kingdom of God to the best of your ability. So go ahead and work your plan as if Christ's return won't be for another 100 years. But live your life in the reverent expectation that His coming might actually be today. Let's stand together and let's... uh, end our time together in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, first of all, repenting of our spiritual lethargy. Repenting, Lord, that we've made so many other things. Our entertainments and our conveniences and all the other things that we so often put ahead of kingdom priorities and kingdom advancement. and Lord, I pray that you would give us all a passion and a fervor to wake up out of our spiritual stupors and get to work with the business of expanding your kingdom in whatever way, shape, or form that that might take for each individual. And Holy Spirit, I know that you will inspire each individual with what to be doing to prepare for your coming, O Lord. I want to say a special prayer for Mary Beth and her family and we the people that you've laid on her heart to begin changing our culture. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just expand and multiply those that are coming into that organization and that movement, and you would cause that thing to flourish across this part of the state, but even the entire United States. Lord, I'm reminded of of Gideon who, when you approached him, Lord, you said, uh, he said, who am I? I'm the least person in the least tribe of Israel and the least family. And he felt that he didn't have what it takes to do what you were asking him. But Lord, because he was diligent, because he was obedient, you went on to use him to deliver Israel from their oppressors. And even when he led that army, Lord, you took that army down from tens of thousands of people and made most of them go home except for 300. And with that little band of soldiers and that little insecure person named Gideon, you did great things for Israel. I'm reminded of that, Lord, because sometimes our efforts can seem so insignificant and so small, like, what could I ever do? And what could this small church ever do? Or what could we, the people, as few as we are right now, what could we do against this great horde that we're up against? But Lord, great hordes have proven to be nothing compared to your strength. So we ask you, Lord, to inspire each and every one of us, speak to each and every one of us about what you would have us do individually and as families, but also what you would have us do as a church. Because, Lord, we want to be involved in what you are doing in the earth in these last days. Don't pass us by, Lord. We say, here we are. Use us, Lord. We're ready. We present ourselves before you, much like Isaiah once did, Lord, saying, Lord, I'll go. Send me. Help us to be obedient to that call that you place upon our lives. And Father, lastly, I pray that as we go our separate ways and in a minute here, I pray that this would not just be another message that gives us temporary inspiration, but then we do nothing with it. Give us strategy, Lord. And I believe that's part of what you've done with Mary Beth and her family and with what we the people is doing. You're giving them and therefore us strategies. Strategies. So Lord, we're praying for a great move of God in this community and a great move of God across this nation And we know that you can do it, Lord. We can't do it. In and of ourselves, we can't do it. But when we partner with you, we know that great things can happen. And we thank you and look forward to what you're doing in this nation. And I just believe that our better days are ahead. Hallelujah. So I speak a blessing over my brothers and sisters as we prepare to go here for in a moment. And I, I say, Lord, lift up your countenance upon my brothers and sisters and make your glorious face to shine upon them and give them peace. And I pray, Lord, according to Deuteronomy 28, that you would bless them in the city, bless them in the country, bless them in their rising up and they're lying down, bless them in their coming and their going With everything they set their hands to do, Lord, may it be blessed and prosperous and fruitful for your kingdom. And for these things, we thank you and look forward to partnering with you in your kingdom conquest throughout this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.